0: hello there welcome to talent and growth uh, the podcast dedicated to all things talent attraction and talent retention Uh, my name is paul church i'm your host also the co-founder of the anemo group and today we are talking to jonathan durnford smith who works at a business called octopus ventures we're going to be talking all around how to implement hiring processes in your business particularly those uh, which are early stage so it's a really great conversation for any company who is looking to uh, put together a strategy around their hiring, what it should look like in terms of processes. There's so much useful stuff here. Um, So I hope you enjoy it and also I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you are, please do like us, please do share us, please do subscribe, please do tell a friend about us, do whatever you can to help grow the movement and of course please do join our LinkedIn newsletter every Monday. Lots of insights around talent attraction and retention. But before I keep going on any further, let's get to the podcast today. Here is Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome to Talent and Growth. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, yeah. I'm, I'm surviving the, uh, the heatwave and I'll try not to just be do the, the classic British thing and complaining about the weather the whole time. But yeah, thank you for having me on. Really, really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Absolute pleasure. And I think, look, a great place to start as always would be. If you wouldn't mind just telling us a bit about your your journey, your background, your career and what you do now. Of course.
1: Yeah. So like a lot of people in the recruiting world, I, I started, I finished university, started in agency side. Um, it was kind of at the point where everybody started talking about big data and uh, analytics and things along those lines a little bit before the AI, um, kind of uh, the wave of AI. Um, and started off focusing mainly on statisticians, quant analysts, and then it sort of morphed into data science um, and, and spent a few years there where I had varied um, exposure to small companies, scaling companies, and then to, to much larger organizations as well, which is quite an interesting way to see how they all how they all fit together and how they all recruit in very different ways. Um, after that, I was uh, was uh, brought into a company called Quantum Black at the time that not many people have heard of. There was about 35 of us at the time, 35, 36 of us. Um, And uh, that had just been acquired by McKinsey, the big consultancy. So I was brought in as recruiter number one to lead their recruiting function. Um, Quantum Black was kind of a data science, data engineering consultancy uh, that went into companies and helped them to better understand their data. Um, And we grew that to, I think when I left uh, a few years later, it was about 300, 350. Um, So kind of went from that very, very small, uh, close-knit team to what was a much larger scaling um, uh, operation, which was really, really exciting to, uh, to, to be part of. Um, and we were across multiple different countries, so got really good exposure to recruiting, both in the UK, across Europe, uh, in the US, uh, other parts of, uh, of the world, like India, Sao Paulo, Australia, um, which was really, really eye-opening, cool to see the differences in terms of, of cultures and how that affects recruitment. Uh, after that, I went to DeepMind, um, which was the AI uh, acquisition at Google. Um joined them when it was about 600 people, so it was a decent size already, six 700, um, and joined there to help um, with engineering hiring predominantly. Um, I was fortunate enough to be involved in some of the uh, the protein folding work as well. So you may have seen all over the news, the, the AlphaFold stuff that they've released, which is super exciting, um, helped to recruit some of the team members there. And then towards the end was uh, leading applied hiring. So it's kind of, how are we working with Google? How are we taking our AR research and applying that to real world uh, scenarios, real world applications? Um, and that was a little bit in California and in, in London, we were doing that kind of hiring as well. Um, and then sort of reached the point where I was thinking, what do I wanna do next? Um, like a lot of people do in their career and move to, uh, to Optimus Ventures where I am now. Um, where I uh, partner with uh, all of our different portfolio companies, predominantly in the deep tech space, um, which is the area of interest that I um, mainly stick to, um, and work with them on anything from like people and talent advisory work through to thinking about their, their internal levelling, thinking about their recruitment practices. Um, there's there's sort of broader HR and people elements to the role as well, which I really, really enjoy. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of me. And I was going to say in a nutshell, but slightly rambling answer.
0: No, great answer. I think um, it, I remember when we spoke first time. I think it, the, the the role you have at Oxford Ventures just sounds it sounds fascinating to me because there's so many elements to it. And as we know, when you're when you're working with these early stage businesses, you just don't realise what some people, what businesses won't have or they don't know, and you can have such an impact on them at this stage. I mean, how how rewarding is it having this kind of role at the moment?
1: Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Like I think people um, people underestimate how difficult recruiting can be and how there are small simple tweaks that you otherwise wouldn't know um that can be hugely impactful um and i kind of liken it to you know i've, I've worked a lot with engineers in my career and it's not like i am going to them and telling them how to do, better do their practices and understand exactly what they're doing and recruitment is similarly nuanced um and for for startups it kind of is like largely the blueprint of success for the first few years because you're only as good as the people that you hire um and i think uh it also is the beginnings of your employer brand, right? And and news travels fast in, in, in the recruitment world, and even more so in the tech startup world um, across the UK and Europe. So um, if you start off on the right foot, you're setting yourself up to be able to build a company in, in the right kind of way and, and build a nice culture, which I think is one of the most important things at the moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and of course, we're talking about setting up hiring process to, processes today. Um, at what point should this be be a focus for a business? When is the optimum point to come in and start really getting, making this, you know, blueprinting it, I suppose? Yeah, it's a
1: great question. I think, I think you should start thinking from from day one and day one being when you're making that first hire. And I see it in, in we, we see it across different phases. I think um, when you're growing from say like five or 10 people to 15, 20, you can afford for things to be um, pretty thorough and a little bit more flexible. Um, and I would never advise people to start to put together a really, really rigorous, really overly structured process at that point. But you should definitely start thinking about it. And I think that the, the the core elements, I'd say it's a very early stage businesses like that is to take time at the very beginning of that to to define the roles. Um, well, a lot of people jump to, oh, we need this type of person or, or we need a VP of engineering or we need a VP of sales. Um, and that's largely influenced because somebody has told them that they need that or they think they might need that because they've read a job spec. But actually, what you should really do is, is, is actually think about, okay, what are the goals for the business? What do we need to achieve? What are the skill sets that we need to be able to achieve that in the next year where we're growing to only 20 people? Um, And and how do we uh, how do we think about where they fit? And then ultimately, what does success look like? I think that's the best way of defining a role, right? So if a- any person is in this role, what will they have accomplished at the six-month mark and what will they have accomplished at the 12-month mark and how is that contributing to the, to the broader organisation? I think that's really important for early stage. And then I also think the decision-making element is really important as well. A lot of bias can creep in at early stage. You know, there's the old adage where you just hire people who are very similar to yourself or you hire friends or people that you've worked with previously. And I get why people do that, right? Because they're either, they're known entities and people that you know will work well with you. And it's okay to hire some of those people, don't get me wrong. But then I also think there is, uh, there is a, a real need for difference in perspective um, and bringing in some fresh perspective. So I think the other thing is, is decision-making. Remove bias from that process wherever possible when you're actually getting to the point of deciding between one candidate or another. And the other thing is don't necessarily compare candidates, but compare them against the role. It's a really hard thing to do, right? But a lot of people make the mistake of saying, well, we've got these two candidates or three candidates of final stages. Let's compare them and pros and cons each one of them. But actually, you shouldn't really be doing that. You should be comparing them to the role that you've defined clearly at the very start. Which one of them matches the role, not which one of them is better than the others. Um, And I think that's a really crucial point as well. And then later on, as you as you start growing beyond 20 to sort of more like 50 to 100 then is that that case for saying, right, we need a bit more scalability. We now need to build a bit more structure around things because we're hiring 20, 30 people a year and, and we need that consistency. And that will come with time. So I think once you've made those first few hires is then to slow things down. And startups are afraid to slow things down, obviously, but, but having the courage to slow things down, even for a few months to take stock and think about, OK, we've now got 15, 20 hires next year to, to kind of nail uh, to, to really get to the point where we need to be let's make sure that we before we start any of that we know how we're going to approach those and we know what that process is going to look like
0: yeah i think um i think your point there around um comparing people to the spec rather than to other candidates is so important it's so so important it's just every I, I often record these podcasts it makes me cringe when i think about things i used to do um not even that long ago you know like five six years ago as a manager the amount of times i would hire somebody Purely because of, because of gut, you know, because I, because I, because I, they, re, I resonated with them, or they resonated with me, and I, you know, I could uh, relate to them, um, and it's just so wrong. It's just so wrong, and I'm so so glad we've come such far away, uh, such a long way. Um, so what 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 does the strategic planning look like, and what are the steps, and who is involved for this?
1: So yeah, it's a, it's a really good question and uh, and quite a meaty one. So I think like I said previously, you should always start with, before jumping into any hiring, is to start with, what What are we trying to achieve as, as a business? So we work a lot with leadership to think about, okay, what are your objectives for the year and your goals for the year? Um, and w- what is your team currently and what are they missing in order to achieve those goals? Uh, and I think that is um, the, the first point to start at before you start putting any job specs together or anything because that will help you to start doing a little bit of a gap analysis around, right, we've got these exceptional people in the team that we know can deliver this, but we are missing these core elements. And that's really what should then start to, um, uh, to mold your thinking around, okay, how are we going to start this hiring and and, and how do we start planning for this? Um, And it shouldn't necessarily always just come down to simple resources like bums on seats is often what people index to, you know, we need X amount of people on this team because we think they'll deliver more. Um, Isn't necessarily the right way of thinking about it. Um, once you've then thought about like how to, what are the gaps in that team and the skills that are fundamental to our success, you then, again, start thinking about, OK, well, within those roles, let's define them really, really well. Um, and let's start off with a if we could have everything we wanted picture, we'd hire these people and then have a plan B with if you cut that down, have these people. Um, really important for startups, right, because you pivot a lot, Um and you also, you know, money isn't infinite in a startup, right? So you need to you need to pivot for we might actually need to hire five less people than we thought we did um, because of X, Y, Z reasons. So having that plan B to, to actually think about, OK, prioritizing what are the three must have roles for the year that we know are just just core to our success? And then what are the next and the next? And then also when you're doing that, that kind of helps you map out over the course of the year what your hiring should look like. Because as you know, and a lot of recruiters know, you can't just say, here's 20 roles, go and hire them all at once. It's just not going to work. It's too much unless you have an enormous recruitment team, which no scaling company really does. Um, So with that priority list also allows you to set it out per quarter and you kind of say, "Okay, Q1, we're focusing on these three to five. These are kind of the core roles that we're focusing on next Q, next quarter is this, next quarter is this, and so on and so forth. And you kind of spread it out. Um, too many companies make that mistake, I think, of saying, let's hire all of these at once um, and just see how we get on. And everything will be slower, in, in, in my experience.
0: Yeah, and, you, you know, it's dangerous to- to the point of you just know, have to look at the market right now, don't you? You know, uh, and if anything where, and I think we saw it a lot in probably last year. A lot of companies hired too much too quick, as we were saying before the call, and you know some of those companies are probably the ones who are suffering right now. And um, what what what's the blueprint for putting together hiring processes? What and what, what elements must we consider? Are there some pillars we need to we need to refer back to?
1: D- definitely, I think like some of the things that that I've seen over the course of my career to anchor on are things like so so velocity. Is a big one. Um, Velocity in the sense of not hiring as quickly as possible necessarily, but setting out a time to hire and realistically what that looks like. I think fairness and consistency are really important um, in the sense of are candidates doing the same type of interview? Are decisions being made in the same way? Um, Are we avoiding any unfairness creeping into a process? I think candidate experience is like one of the very core pillars that everyone should think about. Um, And there are very quick and easy things that you can implement that can improve that a lot of people think oh i've got to have you know an amazing glass door rating i've got to have like an evp consultant come in and do all of this kind of stuff and i don't actually think you do um and then i think finally the other pillar is is kind of diversity equity and inclusion is a massive one that everyone is thinking about quite rightly so at the moment um and thinking that should be wrapped up in everything i've just said so all of those different elements you should be taking a and i view on um, and how are, we, how are we building DE&I within that process? I think the second part is then how do we build it within the culture internally? Because what what I have seen done is the companies focus all of that on the hiring, but they don't actually mirror it in the final culture. So people are joining and they're kind of thinking, this doesn't match what I was told in the interview process. So I think that's another thing to keep your eye on. So yeah, those are the the key ones, kind of velocity, fairness and consistency, candidate experience and, and DE&I. Uh, sort of the core pillars that I think are ones that you should apply with all of your thinking when thinking about a hiring process.
0: And what what should the the hiring process workflow look like? If you could uh okay, paint paint us verbally, paint us a diagram of that. What, what, what does that look like? Yeah,
1: I think so. So in an ideal world, you'd have this perfect shaped funnel, right? Where where it starts starts wide and it, and it comes down, and every single interview process serves a purpose. And I think that's what you should aspire to, to look for. Um, I, think, um, I think it's really important to always question the workflow. So always spend time, and this is something that I've always done with Teams in the past is every year, if not more often, if you can um, review your processes, um, look at whatever metrics you can gather um, at what that workflow looks like and, and try to identify what could be the weak points or the areas that, that could be improved. Um, So in an ideal world, you want that workflow to look like something that's very clear in terms of every single stage should have a purpose. Um, Every single stage, ideally, you would want to be able to measure. So how many candidates have been at that stage um, and how many have then gone through to the next stage? And, you know, I could probably talk for hours on how data can help you inform your hiring processes. Not enough people do it. Um, But I think that's a super important thing as well. Um, And I think ultimately a lot of people will index on like that overall hire number at the end. But actually, I think if, if if your interview process, if you spend enough time in your interview process, even if those numbers are lower, but you're ensuring they're quality hires, I do believe 10 amazing hires is better than 30, you know, okay hires. And I think that's a really, really important thing to index on as well. So another thing I'd always consider is that link with your people team or your HR team, on okay, we've hired them, and and is there a way of mapping what their success looks like over the first year? Right, um, it uh, it can even start with the amount of people that are passing probation, right? Which sounds like a, kind of a brutal metric, but I think is one that, that gives you a good idea of how well your hiring um your your hiring workflow is 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 going, and then even beyond that point, like time to promotion, um other other bits and pieces, uh, ratings at performance review, or other things that I think you should tie in. To, to also but that, that's longer term uh, obviously but but something that if, if you could afford to is I would say track as
0: well and you and you rightly mentioned you've mentioned candidate experience a few times so that leads us on to a little bit to the to the interview process what 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 does that what should that look like I mean how long should it be how, what's the ideal number of stages what are we doing in, in throughout that to make sure the candidate is having a good experience what, what, what's your opinions on this
1: yeah, I mean, that is the, the million dollar question in recruitment is kind of what does the ideal process look like? And I think if I knew the exact answers to that, I'd, I'd probably wrap that up in a software and sell it. But unfortunately, I don't. But, but, but I think so. I think what's very important, as I said before, with with time to hire is to get an idea in your mind of realistically what you want to hold yourselves accountable to as a, as a recruitment team. Now, I a lot of people, I've heard a lot of stories of people like, well, you have to hire in one or two weeks to get any good candidates in this market. And I don't necessarily subscribe to that way of thinking. I think if you say to a candidate, the process will likely take four weeks. Here is what the stages are and here is what to expect in those stages. As a candidate, I'm instantly a little bit more comfortable with that. I'm kind of thinking, OK, that's fine. I know how long it's going to take and I know what, what what's coming up and what to expect. And I think if I had that, well, speaking for me personally, I'd be a lot more comfortable. I think, okay, I can commit those four, to, to those four weeks because I know what's what's coming up. If you don't give somebody that and it just keeps going on and on and on and nobody has any idea of how long it's going to take, then I think that's a bad thing. And that links to, to candidate experience. So with with Velocity, I think that's something to, to to think about is how long do we want to set that as and just have that as a general guide for all candidates? Um, I, th- I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to the amount of stages you should have. I have seen companies where they had like 10, 12 stages of interviews. Now, personally, I think that's way too much. Um, I think if you can get four or five interviews in, um, in the case, it, it, in in the space, sorry, of, say, four weeks, maybe one month, time to hire. If, if you give yourself that time, maybe three weeks. Um, and you can quite clearly state which of those stages does what and what to expect of the candidate as i say i think that's a really important thing to do and i think finally that interview process you need to avoid duplication there's so many companies that do this where you ask the same question in two different interviews or there is a mix-up or it's not clear and one interviewer is just basically getting the same answers from the candidate that another interviewer did And, and each Each stage should serve a purpose and each of those stages should map to the core competencies in the role. And this is why I sound like a broken record, but that defining the role is so important because that will define your interview process. So if you think everything is across four stages, for example, and each of those four caters to a different skill set that we want. So um, I don't know, in the case of an engineering role, uh, software engineer, you want that first stage to test maybe a foundational um, uh, technical skill set. Um, so you could ask them a few questions that are very relevant to the role to better understand. You could do pair programming that, that will probably divide opinion um, of people that, that, that hear that. Um, you could do take home tests, again, divides opinion. So there's a few different things that you could do to test technical competency. I would then test things like um, culture ad. So how are they aligned to our values? Are they aligned to the company's mission? They're actually interested in what we're doing. Um, do they communicate in a way that we feel displays that they'll work well with our with our um, with our current team? Um, and then I would also do like uh, I would always reserve and something I've seen work well all the time is an additional final stage. Um, uh, and this is something we did in the applied team at DeepMind um, was you would get a member of leadership who would often put their hand up, which is amazing and say, I would happily spend half an hour. So it's not really even an interview. And they will kind of say, you could, you've got 20 minutes to throw questions at me. And then I'm, for 10 minutes, I'm going to tell you. And there would be one person that would really interesting tactic that would give people reasons why they might not want to join the organization and kind of say to them, here's actually what we don't do very well. And here's stuff that might you might find a little bit frustrating. And it was actually quite refreshing. And we got candidate feedback from that interview and that way of running it. And everyone loved it. They were kind of like, actually, it's really refreshing to hear what the frustrations are and what the challenges are and what could be done better. Um, and I think it makes, it perhaps makes companies feel a little bit more human versus the let's just sell, sell, sell at people and just really make it seem really shiny and, and really amazing. So I think there's other things that you can do, but, but yeah, not going off too, on too much of a tangent and coming back to your original question. I think there is no prescriptive set of um, stages I think once you're getting over 5 6 it's probably too many and you should question do we need that many um and, and the main rule should be each of those serves a purpose and really digs into um what you need from that that person in that role
0: Yeah I, um yeah thanks sir. that's a great answer I, th- I love the reverse interview uh, I think that sounds really really interesting and just a couple of things I've seen I think I think I mean I I've, I've got my preferences of how long the interview process should be but I think whatever it is whatever they look like I think, what, what, I'm sure lots of companies are doing this now, but I know Clio, Clio AI, um, we had Annie Jackson, Head of Talent on here before, they, they document what their, their interview process is on their careers page. So everyone knows they're gonna go through the same thing. So from a transparency and inclusion point of view, that, that's a really good thing to do. And I think that, that's something that candidates really appreciate. I also, uh, another former guest of the podcast, uh, Milimo Banji, who runs a business called Tappin, which is uh, aimed at um, helping businesses attract Gen Z talent. He put something on a post up recently whereby he, uh, companies should start advertising and committing to the feedback that candidates are going to get at the end of that process whether they get the job or not so this is obviously going to help junior people more so but anyone really so that's that's a that's an added buy-in as well so there's a few things you could do but i think yeah i think whatever the stage is i think consistency and transparency are definitely things to 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 stick to would you say for sure
1: yeah i think i think for, for any organization even like it, no matter the size of your your company i think those are two really really good things to have as 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 those pillars for sure
0: perfect all right cool um what should we yeah you mentioned your our time to fill or time to hire whatever you want to call it um what what would what should we be aiming our time to fill to be um, as a business do you think
1: uh that's a really good question i so i think I think in an idea, if you asked a hiring manager, they'd all say yesterday, Um, I think if you asked the recruitment team, they would say something very different. I think it should depend on, uh, so I think it should largely depend on the need in the organization for that role. And here comes that priority, that priority piece again is kind of that time to fill needs to be ideally as quick as possible for those priority one roles. I, I don't believe you need to, you should push yourself as an organization to rush though. Um, because I think you can you can cut corners when rushing and indexing for velocity over thoroughness. And I think you can balance the two. Now, I've always said like four weeks or less, to be completely honest with you. And a lot of organisations that I've worked in or with have done four weeks or less and stages for each week. Um, And that four weeks can be condensed. So I think when you're designing your interview process you ideally want those stages to be a little bit malleable. So what we would do sometimes is if we had an amazing candidate who had to make a decision and they had something else in the pipeline and they couldn't do four weeks, they had, we had to limit it to three, we would try to combine the final two stages in one week, get them all in on one day if possible, or across two days, um, see what we could do remotely versus what needed to be done in, perp- in person, if anything um and uh, and and that gave us that ability to flex the um the interview process um which i think is really really important uh and i think within that it's good to mention that to candidates and this is kind of a nod back to the candidate experience is saying you know do will you need any uh like what are your time frames and would you rather take your time with this or do you need to make a quick decision and do that very uh, up front in that very first call with with the candidate um, and I think the more that you can cover in those early stages, so that first week uh, of interaction with the candidate for me is one of the most important parts of the entire process. And if you do your job well there, you should understand the candidates motivations, you should understand their interests, and you should understand what their timeframes are and what their what their expectations are for what role they're looking for, not salary expectations, but what are they looking for and what excites them. Um, And within that first week is super important because that, for me, is where you get the buy-in from the candidate and you have that initial sell, because likelihood is if they're a good candidate, they're getting sold at by numerous uh, different organisations at the same time. Um, And then that will help to be that indicator of do we speed this process up? Are they okay with that four-week timeline uh, and gauge that? Um, And I think you track that over time, right? How many candidates are hired in that four-week or less timeline? How many do we have to speed up? and is it of a certain type of role that we're having to do that so again coming in this like this measuring and tracking piece is how you should really be um iterating on your process uh, based on just candidate feedback and the numbers coming through the uh, the funnel
0: 100% and and of course talent acquisition can't do it all on their own how do we create a culture of everybody being responsible for hiring and understanding it's going to take everyone's uh, energy to do that
1: yeah, I think it's a, a really great point, and one where certainly in my career, I think recruitment's changed a lot from what I've seen in my career. But in the early days, and, and you will have seen this undoubtedly as well. It's all it was always seen as a service function, a function where it's kind of we give you this, you go off and deliver, and it's kind of based on what our input is and what we tell you we need. I think over time the best companies have fostered um, and given license to the recruitment team to be like consultative as well to have the ability to push back uh, to hire managers to leadership and just say this is what we're seeing in the market like we're the ones who are in it on a daily basis and if you if if you get your team to be able to present that well and report that back well that's it's it's really invaluable insights and then have that ability to push back and say so that the first point for me is yeah arming your recruitment team with the confidence and the ability to make those recommendations and be more consultative and be more like a thought partner versus just a service team. Um, I think the other one is getting HR and your people team to lean in on hiring planning and making sure that they they also have visibility and they also are there to support the the recruitment team in terms of these are the latest updates based on whoever is owning that headcount planning process. In some companies, it's the people in HR team; in some, it's recruitment; in others, it's leadership. But whoever is is the decision maker and the planner, if it's not recruitment, should be looped in with recruitment. And that should always be from the off, there should, recruitment should be consulted and told what the numbers are looking like and why that is and whether that is wrong and whether that's achievable in the timeline set. Um, and I think hiring managers should take more accountability for hiring into their team. So there's a lot more companies now that are putting in performance review metrics for hiring managers of how many people have you hired? Like how many hours have you spent interviewing? Um, uh, how much have you helped the recruitment team? Like, ha- have you been involved in recruitment focused projects for hiring? Um, and I think that's really important to be honest with you, because the recruiters don't, a-, a lot of the time you're hiring for a role that you've not done on a daily basis. So it's really important to get input from those people that have done that role on a daily basis and understand it and can input and see whether that will affect the interview process or your hiring planning or strategy. Um, so I, I actually, I'm, I'm really in favor of building that further into into performance reviews. You know, how, how else have you, beyond your day-to-day role, um, how else have you contributed to hiring? Especially if you're in a leadership position or if you have headcount attributed to you and you own that headcount, um, you, you should be held accountable for it as well as, as well as recruitment. It shouldn't all fall on just recruitment. Um, and I think finally, like leadership is one of the most powerful things, to uh, one of the most powerful groups, sorry, to get involved in recruiting. Um, a lot of people say it right. But if you and certainly in early stages, a lot of the startups I work with, if the CEO messages potential candidates that they really want, their, their re- response rate on LinkedIn is so much better than, than a recruiter. So can you get buy in from leadership to do that? um and i've quantum uh, black we used to do calls where a leadership team member would jump on a call with a group of prospective candidates and just like do a bit of A Q&A for 20 30 minutes and it would be a group of them even if they were entry-level candidates just finishing university and thinking about what they would wanted to do next and and that shows um that leadership are bought into recruitment and growing out uh, uh, an organization and it's not just a they set the number, it's cascaded down and then just recruitment, deliver on it. Um, I think all of those things combined are really, really helpful.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree. And are there any um, tools which uh, go-to's have to be implemented? Any like just, you know, really, maybe not necessarily the core things you need, but just some really cool things that are worth having. Anything you'd recommend?
1: I think so i think getting your recruitment team trained up in x-ray searching and alternative ways of sourcing is really helpful um i think that's invaluable for a lot of efforts whether it's specific very specific hard roles to hire for where well, of which there's a very small talent pool or for d and i efforts it's super important to be able to skill up your recruitment team to do because in my experience, if, if you're working in an area where it's very, very competitive and there are lots of organisations vying for the type of talent you need, um, you, often the ones who win are the recruitment team that have been the most creative and got into that talent pool first. And, and, and the other thing I think is, and it's not necessarily a tool, right, it's a skill set that you're giving your team. And there are tools that go along with that, that I think are interesting sourcing tools. Um, ATSs are a a pain point for everyone. You know, everyone will find something to complain about, about every single one of them. I think wherever possible, if you've got an ATS, I would make sure that you're um, gearing it up to be able to feed you back insights and data wherever possible. So one thing whenever I'm talking to startups that are thinking about putting an ATS in place is to think about the ones where you're going to get some kind of useful reports back from it. And where you can pull data from it quite easily, because that will be ultimately like one of the most valuable sources of decision making for how you're going to improve your recruiting. So, again, I think as a tool, any ATSs that have good reporting analytics functions are really, really good. A lot of them do now, um, but obviously they're only as good as what you put into them. So so setting up good practices uh, when you when you've put that in place is really, really important. And then other tools from a people perspective, I really like tools like Lattice and others where you're kind of building up more of a, uh, a profile for each employee on what their development looks like. And it's helping, especially for startups and scaling companies, managers are, are under a lot of stress, right? Because unlike larger organizations, they're the ones who have to manage their team members and often they're hands on as well. Um, they don't have the luxury of, of being completely hands off and just operational managers of teams. So I think tools um, that help them to support like one-to-ones with their team, development planning with their team, other things that bring that consistency. And there's a lot of managers that haven't done it for long, right? And I I think tools like that are really, really important um, because I think recruitment is great, but I think retention is even more important at the moment, um, especially with all these different things going on. Um, There's a, a lot of competition for talent as there always has been. But now everybody is a lot more picky with what they want right and fair enough people are looking for i think it's now people are wanting to mold work around their lives versus life around their work which is what it felt like a few years back um and i think that's really really important to note um so uh, I, I think ha- having managers giving managers the tools and the skill sets to be able to make sure that their their teams are motivated they're happy but they also feel like they have a life um, as well is, is really, really important. So I like these tools that take some of that off and give that consistency.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And I think, um, look, I think we, we, we've covered a lot here. If we're just, just to kind of wrap things up, what would be if um, your message or your advice to business leaders who are just thinking, Oh my God, I've not got any hiring processes. Where on earth do I start? What would be your top line, you know, top three things you'd say they need to stop and think about and implement?
1: Yeah, I would I would say take a step back and take a breather and don't be afraid to pause your hiring, even if it's for a week or two. Right. Which is an uncomfortable thing to do for a lot of people um, and see see what what you've done, what's worked or what hasn't worked and then start from the very, very basics. So, like, what are the what are the main roles that we need to hire for this year? And, and OK, let's just take three of those roles and let's think about how are we going to hire for those people? Who do we have internally that can help give us a read? If we don't have those, how do we think about like external help to, to come in and to, um, uh, to assess those those potential candidates or for those roles, right? Um, and start small. I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves to think, oh, well, we need 10 or 20 people. And often you, you don't need them that quickly. And, and you can get those a lot quicker if you just take a step back, take a breather, assess what you can do a little bit differently. And I also am a big believer in in trying to get, get a people person or a recruiter in early, if you can, like allow for that, because I think it's super important because there's they, they get to point in any in any startup where it's often your CEO, or your member of leadership who's leading recruiting until they get somebody on board and that either they will burn themselves out by trying to juggle that with everything else that's going on. And that's just not that's not good for the business. Um, or they just won't do it that well because they've got so much on, which is understandable. So I think getting somebody in to own that and to help drive that is really, really important as early as, as you physically can. Um, that, that, that's what I'd say is, is, is to think about allocate some of that headcount to someone that can own it in, internally.
0: Yeah, 100% because you know what happens otherwise is they're going to spend a fortune on recruitment agencies and get, you know, probably, you know, half a poor service a lot of the time, for a lot of money. Um, and yeah, by thinking ahead, I think that's just one of the things people, um, we, we, with talent teams sometimes, I think the biggest, biggest thing that holds businesses back is they don't think ahead with their hiring and implement that talent team, that foundation or that person, first of all, and then go and do it. They They, they work backwards, don't they?
1: Definitely, I agree. And and look, there is, a, there is a place for agencies, right? I've worked with some amazing agencies, but, but again, if you have somebody in-house to help manage those relationships with those agencies, you're going to get a lot more out of them than if you're trying to juggle that with everything else. So I, I don't think it's right to say, you know, you get a recruiter in and they will solve all of your problems for you and hire everything directly, especially if you've got, you know, lots and lots of hires to do in that year. However, they should help s- start setting up those foundations for how you are going to hire. And then they can manage agencies to help augment that as well, for, for sure. But, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It just gets really messy and, unless you actually get somebody in to, to help to drive that forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I should clarify, I'm also pro recruitment agencies as well before my <laughs> recruitment agency friends start messaging me saying they hate me. Um, no, brilliant. Jonathan, that's fantastic. I really appreciate your time today. Um, if anyone else wants to pick your brain on anything at all, what's the best way for them to contact you?
1: Uh, you can uh, add me on LinkedIn and message me, um, and then uh, I will hopefully get back to you. Um, or uh, you can email me at uh, jonathan at octopusventures.com as well. Um, if you have any questions, anything, yeah, always happy to connect to people uh, or connect with people and uh, and yeah, hear hear more stories of what's worked and what hasn't for sure.
0: Legend, thank you so much, Jonathan. Thanks for being a part of uh, Talent and Growth.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Good talking to you.